You're listening to The Interview, in-depth retailer interviews with inspirational people. This episode of The Retail Exchange is brought to you in association with Peak Technologies. Peak Technologies are helping world-leading retailers across Europe and the US to achieve sustainable, responsible and rapid growth. Retail operations optimise, productivity boosted, supply chain lifecycle extended, waste reduced. Unlock access to real-time visibility of critical assets and processes with the latest in digital retail technology solutions. Visit peaktech.co.uk today to learn more and book your free 15-minute consultation. Peak Technologies. Achieve sustainability without reducing quality or value. Hello, I'm Carl McKeever and welcome to the latest in the interview series from the Retail Exchange podcast. As we bring you insight and opinion from premier retail industry professionals and thought leaders. Today, I'm joined by Shauna Strawn, Head of Retail Design and Home Furnishing Identity at IKEA US. Recorded live in the heart of New York City during NRF 2023, together we discuss the need for retailers to place sustainability at the heart of strategic thinking and how this is influencing design thinking within the store environment. Here's the episode. Shona, you're Head of Retail Design and Home Furnishing Identity. Can you just unpick that job title for me? Yeah, um, from a retail design perspective, that probably feels a little bit more obvious. So it's really the design and interaction our customers have both online, but also within our stores. You know, how we can really be our brand through our interactions with our customer. And we have pretty clear ways in which we look at our brand and how we want to meet our customer. And that's actually our home furnishing identity. So from a home furnishing identity perspective, it's uh, quite unique at IKEA. So we always start with real people real people, real homes, real needs. Um, That's always our starting point, no matter what new solution we're looking to develop. But from a home furnishing perspective, we uniquely see home furniture a certain way. We look at it from the way that we look at solutions. So solutions is really interesting when it comes to home furnishings, because it's not just about the item that you purchase, it's actually the full solution, which usually tends to be many items, and how it will deliver to your needs in life at home. So you you can buy a hook, but that's only one coat. Right, And so if you have a come and go area within your home in which you are putting your coats, you're putting your shoes, you're putting it, we're looking at the total solution in order to deliver to those consumer needs. Um, And that's a unique part that for us is IKEA. And then of course, it's the uniqueness of our design. You know, we're a Swedish company and we talk about Swedishness and we talk about what does that mean? There's, There's a joyful aspect to it. If you've ever been to any of our retail locations or met us online, you know, we we aren't afraid of color. Um, We see that as being a really integral part of who we are. And um, anytime you meet our brand, we have a lot around joy, color, interaction around that. Function is a huge part. We're a pretty practical retailer. Um, Healthy and sustainable living is another really important part for us. This has kind of always been part of our brand, even though maybe there's some retailers that are kind of more Johnny-come-lately. It's actually been something we've been been working towards forever. And that that really strongly aligns with Nordic values as well, doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And when we say healthy and sustainable living, yes, of course, we're talking about planet, but we're also talking about 
the person mm. also. And, and, and the supply chain. Absolutely, of course. And supply chain is really, I guess you could say, is more of like the business side of it in many ways, but also there's a personal side to it. You know, we really believe in having a home as a sanctuary. We see that it's your space, so it should be your way. And we also see that this brings a lot of better mental health, better understanding of what you want in life, and gives you just space to think in a more healthy way. So, so, so when you're doing your work and you're, you're sitting together with your teams, to what extent do you have to stay very close to the core IKEA brand DNA? Mm. Or is there a, a level of personalization that you have to apply here in the North American market? It's a very systematic way in which we do it. So function is definitely dependent upon what market you're in, right? I mean, different people, they prepare different kinds of food. They prepare it in different ways within a kitchen environment, for example. But when we actually share it with the customers, we put it through our filters. And going back to the home furnishing identity, we have four main style groups that we develop all our product through, which is there are Scandinavian traditional, Scandinavian modern, then we talk what we talk about being international modern, international traditional. So we start from the needs in life at home and then we show it from a design perspective through the filters of our styles but the function is what is so market specific and when we talk about market specific we talk about the U.S. but also you can talk about New York City, you can talk about New York State, you can talk about the East Coast. I mean all of those things are very different so if you've been to our stores you see that not only do we understand the customer we show them. How does the lingonberry go down here? Ah it's really great I mean if you think about it, this is this is my connection, you know, meatballs, mashed potatoes and gravy with some lingon isn't so far off from a turkey dinner right, and some and, and a you know so, and the so, cranberry sauce that we use. So from a from a taste perspective, it's basically like having Thanksgiving every day you come to uh, the, I was gonna say so Ikea. we could almost expect IKEA <laughs> to soon own Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we should. <laughs> yeah. So that's something which you really want to work on is is how you bring that whole Swedish ethos and way of life and to the fore really within and on the digital communication. Yeah, and I think it's a little bit what you were asking me. You know, how can you be unique? How can you stand out? And that's the thing that I know we have and we can do. But when you have so many stores in such a vast country, it can it's it's hard to kind of keep that thing from watering down a little bit, right? And of course, North America, you, as you mm -hmm. rightly saying there, you also are looking at not just three different time zones. You're also looking at different climates, mm -hmm. different types of environments. So I guess there's a lot of consideration that you have to put into each of your campaigns and how you bring those activations to life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's in the store environment. It's also, you know, geolocating within an online environment. It's everything. <laughs> you know, what would work for a customer when it comes to home solar, which we just brought out in California. You know, I mean, when we brought that out, it was a natural place to start, you know. So we, we really do a lot of dimensioning to um, really connect the right solution to the right customers. And how do you organize your teams? So within my team, we have three main areas, which is graphic communication, the visual merchandising team, and then also interior design. And then if you were to say interior design is really, every time you go into a store and you see all the room sets and everything, this is very much interior design, as well as any of the brand identity that we have in stores or within our agencies or any of that. From a visual merchandising perspective, we have a very specific way in which we steer our customers within store. Um, we have certain parts of the store, which we see plays a certain type of role as you're moving through the journey. And the visual merchandisers are really connected into that. 
that. You know, leaning into some of that commercial messaging that we have, and we have requirements around that connected to our concept. Um, and then from a graphic design perspective, of course, it's all of our signage, it's our brand identity, um, and making sure that that is exactly connected to who we are as a company. Everything from using our fonts to the right kind of visual approach and what we call twinkle in the eye, which we always have a little bit, a little bit of humor in everything we do. And so they kind of hold all that together. And those components that you've described those in, in many ways are a little old world. So mm. they are print-based, they are install activations, they are room sets and things. To what extent are you moving the business also into the digital execution? So That runs through all. Okay. The digital runs through all, right? right? So if you were to say who was the main would probably be graphics. That would be the main keeper of a lot of that. But it's really about bringing in some of the people on my team who maybe are used to the old school way and bringing them into the omni-channel reality. We have such a clear way in which we move customers through a journey in our store. And can and, I inspect in future yeah. to not necessarily follow the walkway and rock up to a room set, but actually come to an area and maybe I will put on a VR headset and actually scan a product in a QR code and it takes me into an augmented reality version of maybe even a blended reality where I've got a picture of my room at home and that table then becomes part of my purchase consideration. Yeah, we're already doing that. We are a big test and try innovative company. So we will test, we'll succeed. Sometimes we test and we fail. But anytime we test and we su succeed, or even if we see a bit of success to it, then we will go back to the drawing board, if you will, and try to figure out where could it be even more successful and put bring it into our portfolio. How did you go about, in a sense, gathering the feedback there that would then go and inform what you did with that technology next? It's very analog. It's really just asking the customers after right. they bring they're in the space, you know, we catch them when they're in the moment, and then we're able to kind of get that feedback from them, and then it's all about follow-up on our part, right? It's the discipline of follow-up for us to understand how can we then take what we learn and then bring it into what may be the next solution. So, yeah, I mean, so you are a listening company. You could say that we're probably almost obsessed with our customer and certainly obsessed with people and how they live and what they need and what they want, both in their you know, shopping journey and also how it is in life at home. I think we're in an interesting place right now in retail because I think you can't be one or the other. You can't necessarily be shiny object without analog at the same time. And there's many reasons for this. I think you know, there was such a huge boom in you know, D2C, online environments. It, and I think that there's also this secondary need of human interaction. The more separated we get from each other as humans, the more we crave it. And we kind of really set ourselves up to be that. It's kind of we look at the, the, you know, the role of the store. We see the role of the store as an intentional place in which a consumer made a decision to pay for the gas money to get to our store. So we need to provide a very personal experience. And it's not about you know not doing online or not doing, it's not like that. It's not so black and white. It's much more nuanced. Is that a change in approach? Because I know certainly from a, a UK perspective, I think IKEA had around about 14 stores or so at that time. But famously, its e-coms operation was pretty slow to ferment. Mm. And I think that was seen as a bit of a strategic miss, actually. So yeah, people were very enthusiastic about the stores, and maybe too enthusiastic. We had huge lines at the weekend, often the, the car parking was difficult. And some of that positive sentiment was actually tipping the other way. I think then kind of the leadership team recognized that actually m maybe we can't afford here to just say that it's all about the store experience and actually we need to give people more choices and more options about how they shop. In that sense, I wouldn't say that IKEA had necessarily been a leader, 
they took some time to essentially smell the coffee and wake up. Mm. I think you could say that to a certain degree. We are store, we're store people, right? I mean, we're maybe if not the only, one of the only retailers that, where you could basically get any product you want for an entire product range within a store. Right, I mean, that's really unheard of. So you really can go in, you can take it in, you can bring it out. So was it really more about the challenges or the, the scale of offering uh, a functioning e-comms operation, which perhaps created some of that latency? Yeah, I think it's a little bit that. I also think, you know, who we are in our DNA is a very personal company. But it's actually been great for us now. <laughs> I mean, this is a little bit of what I was saying about the shift that's happening, right? Almost anyone can just put a website up. But can you provide the kind of personal experience that is so deeply within your DNA in order for it to be authentic? That's a little bit more difficult, right? And so because we've always had that, the digital drive that we have or the digital movement that we're making, certainly not easy, but definitely the resources are out there for us to be able to make that shift. And they are complementary channels to one another. Absolutely, and I think this is going back to how it's evolving. You know, If we know the customer journey and we know where they're going for what, then we need to feed that to them. Let the customers tell us what they want from us and then we can react to that. Of course we need to look forward and say, what will the customers need? But this is really how we make all of our decisions based on what the consumer is saying and what they're needing, their behaviors. One of the challenges, especially as you become bigger in more territories with more structures and you know perhaps there's less direct line back to the center. How does IKEA essentially maintain true to its values? Because when you have creatives operating around the world and you have VM teams in every store and you have agencies which are wanting to turn up, print ads and commercials and all the rest of it, surely everybody wants their ego to come out into the work. Yeah, I, it's an interesting question because I would say in most companies that is the case, but part of the reason I love IKEA and have stayed with IKEA is because of our values. And when I talk about the values, they're literally like written down. <laughs> it's part of onboarding. It's what we use in conversations when we say our reasoning behind something is not the right thing to do. And everybody uses it. And so, so you can use these almost uh, as a litmus to go back to it and, and benchmark against the values. Absolutely. And we're talking about things like giving and taking responsibility. We're talking about things like humbleness. We're talking about things like low cost, always doing things at a low cost, whether that's travel or whether that's visual merchandising and our in-store fixtures. And then of course there's the sustainability that's connected to that as well. So it's really so ingrained in us and in our values. That so is this one of the challenges or is it in many ways it's, it's less of a challenge because you've already established a, a protocol for how this should work? I would say it's not necessarily a challenge for the company. Sometimes it can be a challenge for the new individual. Right, or so for it, the agency partners that come on board. Yes, but we, we vet <laughs> very closely. So we really only make, make connections with some of our agency partners, for example, that are very like-minded for us. We, we have a process that we go through that is a, a, pretty, a pretty robust vetting with any kind of partnership we do, whether that's a designer or whether that's an agency or a service provider. We have a very heavy vetting process, which is with our values fully connected into that. One of the big corporate initiatives and it's high on the agenda for IKEA as, as a global business is a fully circular company. Mm -hmm. Can you just tell us about where you in the US and North American business are at on that journey? We have some pretty hefty goals to decrease our climate footprint by 2030 and it takes the full value chain. So starting with product, any new product, any product by, the, by 2030 all product will be developed with either sustainable, recyclable or circular material. 
And then we're talking about, of course, global transport. We want to cut that footprint in half by 2030. Then when we look at our actual store units, you're looking at the operations of those store units to make them as sustainable as possible. Energy and water use. Exactly, 90% of our units have solar panels on the roof of the units and that will become 100% of course. We also have huge renewable energy portfolio just in the United States, which equals to about 240, a little more than 243 billion kilowatts of energy saved annually. Then it's, you know, final mile, of course, so we're working towards fully electric vehicles by 2025. And how important are these initiatives to you for your customers here in the US market? Mm -hmm. Look, perhaps it's fair to say that some of these initiatives have been slow to adopt here, mm -hmm. but I think America is catching up fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think when you asked about the circularity, that's the key part for us. So we've had what we call as is, but basically it's a resale area within all of our stores for many years. But what we've recently brought in is a, a new program called Buyback and Resell. It started in June of last year, and it's where basically online we give our customers quotes on their product. They bring it to, into our stores, we buy it from them, we do some minor refurbishment, and we resell it. When you do the resell, you of course are going to get a 40% to 60% decrease in cost. So I think the entry point first is lower price. We know that that tends to be a really high driver for customers when they're looking for home furnishings. And we're an affordable retail, but we're even providing even lower costs. But then while they're there for that motivation, it's our responsibility to share that there's other good reasons to do that. So a lot of it's about in-store communication. It's about kind of sharing that, having events connected to that. You know, we are the largest home furnishing company in the world. We use 1% of the total wood species within, within the globe. It is our responsibility to have FSE certified forestry, which we do. It is our responsibility to bring our furniture back into the into circularity. That's our responsibility, so that's where it starts. How you meet the customer with it, that's what starts to vary. You know, you want to resonate with them in the way that you're speaking their language. That's why I talk a little bit about affordability and the price aspect of resale. I worked at Crate & Barrel, a great company, before I went to IKEA, director of product development and design for their children's division, and I feel that it's so important to be able to bring the same kind of quality and the same kind of sustainability agenda to people who actually don't have a lot of money, right? right. Unfortunately, I think in the US, there's this kind of, um, oh, in order to live healthy and sustainable life, you have to have a lot of money. And it doesn't need to be that way. So we're a huge company that we can, we can make those changes. And it's like I said, it's our responsibility. So that's a lot of where the passion lies for me. Good news is we are driving our business. You know, a lot of people think you can't do it. In 2019, we re reduced our climate footprint by 4.3%, while at the same time growing our business by 6.5%. So it can be done. It just takes a lot of front end and back end work. Yeah, and you have um, to be to committed. There. You have to be committed. You have to be committed. But it's in everything we do. It's not like we have a sustainability department that sits over on the side. We have a sustainability department, but in many ways, they're the ones that are bringing in the new and they're kind of a checks and balances, but it's in everything we do, going back to what I said about it being part of our home furnishing identity. And as you say, you are an early adopter. In fact, mm -hmm. I would describe you perhaps as a pioneer mm -hmm. in this area. And maybe one of the things that was a, quite a, a key enabler in all of this was the fact that your founder very much believed in these kind of ethical principles as the business was developing many many years ago actually you can say with some confidence well you know we got here first when we say that we believe in this stuff we really do right 
Exactly. And it does start back with our founder, Ingvar Kamprad. How we got into furniture is that he noticed that Scandinavian modern furniture was actually had a huge markup, which he didn't find was fair. Like it didn't make sense. So he was purchasing the same product, but he was selling it for less. Then he got started getting kicked out of trade shows and he said, well, then I'll manufacture it myself. And he started his first manufacturing in, in Poland and this was kind of the beginning of IKEA. And But from the very beginning, it was around responsibly forested wood and again, just the right thing to do. This episode is brought to you by Peak Technologies. Peak Technologies deliver change that's good for your business, the bottom line and the planet. Consumers want to know that their favourite brands are committed to sustainability. That's a given. Sustainability can accelerate growth with measurable benefits while giving your brand something to be proud of. And you need to do it now. The point is, you can break the cycle of unreliable and outdated technology that causes endless disruption to the retail floor, stockrooms and supply chain technology. How? by leveraging the latest in mobility hardware, software and services to boost productivity, extend the life cycle of your supply chain, get more from your investment by optimising processes and maximising the adoption of technology whilst also minimising your carbon footprint, reducing e-waste and achieving responsible repair, disposal and asset recycling. Peak Technologies wants to see that change, to turn will deliver change tomorrow into change today. What's not to like? Discover more about Peak Technologies retail and supply chain solutions. Get a free 15-minute consultation today. Visit peaktech.co.uk. Within your physical role as stores, how do you go about harnessing customer loyalty through design? This is a really interesting thing because I think this is something unique challenge we have in the U.S. actually. So the U.S. is super unique, you know, we're the world of HGTV and DIY. Think about trading spaces way back in the day when actually you could say the U.K. was actually started a lot of this as well. But you know, in true American fashion, we exploded it. So that appetite is huge in the U.S. It's also extremely saturated. It's and, the, and hard to cut through. And hard to cut through but it's absolutely the opposite for IKEA. So that challenge of being able to communicate to the customer who we are and our huge presence within the United States, I mentioned our you know, renewable energy portfolio just in the US, this kind of information we need to be able to transfer. And then from a style perspective, we are unique. So we always say we need to show up as who we are and we still have some work to do on I, that. I had the pleasure two or three years back now, probably even more, maybe five years back, mm -hmm. I attended an opening for IKEA in Warsaw when you launched your new city concept stores yeah. and I have to say I was blown away by the fact that you had really challenged yourselves quite hard to do something out of the box and quite original. I remember the sleep studio it was projections on a wall with mattresses and I remember just looking at children laughing and playing and rolling around on these beds whilst mm -hmm. they were essentially lost in a Scandinavian forest. Mm. For me, it was a complete breath of fresh air. Now, I haven't seen too many more of those stores roll out, so I'm curious to know, are there still elements of this modernization still in the process? 
Absolutely. As far as the small city center stores, absolutely we're continuing and you can expect some of those coming to the U.S. I think that you need a varied experience with IKEA. Um, but to be honest, we don't have a lot of presence in the U.S. We talked about how huge this country is. Because you had a store here in, in New York, I think, a planning studio yeah, exactly. opened. Exactly. But it, it's no longer here anymore. Why was it only so short-lived? You know, we, we, we looked at location, we looked at the layout of it, but we actually then opened two in L.A just recently so we are learning from it and shifting and it doesn't mean we would never bring something back to new york it's it's you know it's that kind of test and try and learning that we're doing but from an expansion perspective we have huge huge goals in the u.s we need to get closer to the customers you and know, do you think the customer here is is also similarly ready for that kind of shot of innovation which i experienced in warsaw I think so. I think I think it has to be targeted, you know, and that's the kind of things that we learn. You know, it may work in a mattress studio and it may not work in another area. And, you know, we really do take it product area by product area and you have to test things to understand what works and what doesn't. We need to provide to customers and we are and we're doing more of that. Their ability to personalize their own products, to be able to refurbish their own product, to make it their own make it personal. So there's many different ways that you can do that. Then I think there's, you know, specialty retail experiences. Is it about convenience? Is it about price? So we try to dimension all of those things out and then have a special experience per customer. Because you're not pushing one particular look or you're not focusing on one particular segment. Mm -hmm. You're actually saying that essentially there is something here for everybody and depending on who you are and how you want to use it, you know, we've got it. Exactly. I mean, that is what we talk about. We have five main elements of democratic design that all product must meet. Democratic design, as I was saying, around price, quality, function, form, and sustainability. All products must meet those five aspects of democratic design. That is extremely difficult, but they do. It's a requirement that they must meet it. And as you go on to express that democracy in terms mm -hmm. of the store experience, how do you go about that? We call it democratic design communication, where we specifically talk about price, we specifically talk about form, and we put a beautiful Poeng chair on an angle so you can see the bent wood aspect of the form. And we speak to the form. We talk about the designer of the Poeng chair. We talk about the heritage of the Poeng chair. We talk about sustainability. We talk about product that is made with fully sustainable material. And we communicate that to our customers within a store environment. So nothing is kind of just random here. Nothing is random. There is a, a a clearly orchestrated philosophy yeah. and a plan exactly. behind the actions that you take. Our biggest opportunity in the U.S. when we talk about design and we talk about style is, like I said before, leaning into who we are, Scandinavian roots. So you've worked in two great businesses, both mm -hmm. very specialist in terms of what they do, quite different in terms of maybe consumer demographic mm -hmm. or uh, the actual proposition itself. Yeah. Um, how do you take what you know as the great experience that you've got at Crate mm -hmm. and apply that in a way which is relevant for IKEA? I mean, it's not that different, really. You know, I mean, ultimately it's the same formula. You know, what product or experiences are you developing that will resonate for the customer through the lens of your brand? You know, Crate & Barrel has its own brand, IKEA has its own brand, but relevance is still needed regardless of who the brand is. And right? does it this go back to your clarity of the values and your mm -hmm. clarity of the, the, the founder and uh, and essentially the DNA, that is that those touch points that you then can self-check against. Absolutely, but then using those as the filter for market relevance. Right. Um, so I, I don't really find it to be that different. Maybe I've just been in home furnishing design too long <laughs> to where, to your point, it just kind but of I always find, me a little bit. But, but I always find that people who love what they do tend to stick within the same industry because yeah. it drives them. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, as a kid, I would sit in my room for hours drawing paper dolls and furniture and setting them up in box houses. And <laughs> so it's always kind of been what I've been interested in. So um, you've been mood boarding and things for my m- whole life. Many. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. In terms of how you think about your own role, mm-hmm. there, I guess, to lead, stimulate, innovate within your teams. Are you a driver, a coach, a champion? How would you label what you do? I think it would probably be all of those depending upon the project. So if it's business as usual, I think there's probably a little bit more of the cheerleading and the coaching depending upon you know where the person is in their role. If we're talking about something from an innovation perspective, it's probably more of a driver. You know, it's more of me leaning into what I know is IKEA and how we talk about IKEA being in your backbone. And when, you know, I I lived in Sweden for five years and worked for kind of the the heart of IKEA and did product development and design, and you really get it into your backbone. And you end up with a compass that says, we really need to do this, and here are all the reasons why. But sometimes, of course, you have to push something, you have to champion something, especially anything new or innovative or difficult or outside the norm, but always within our values. In fact, that's usually the reason why I push something. Yes, yeah. What are some of the things you are most proud of that you've done in your time with the business? We launched Interior Design Services. That's, that's huge for us, you know, so where we can transfer our home furnishing expertise to the customer and it's actually accessible. Right. You know, you're going to have designers that are really about, oh, you have that in your home, keep that. What about this? No one's trying to like upsell you to be on a full Ikea home, right? We right. have respect for how people truly do live. And this is unique. It's a multi-layered service as far as free or non-free. We have a lot that's free. All of our planning services are free. Any kind of home furnishing advice is free. Um, when we start getting into actually designing your space, you know, where we're building Revit files and we're, and we're, you know, even getting into architectural aspects, then it's more complex, but it's still much less expensive than most interior design services are. And then I think there's some other things that are coming that I'm very excited about. We talk about this experience you mentioned around the like, you know, in-store. I think we have opportunities online. So you'll see something coming very soon in which it's an entirely new experience. And can we have a time frame for that? This spring. This, this spring, this 2023. Spring. Yep. And that's at ikea.com US. Yep, and it's all about real people and real homes. And you know, in stores, we have this kind of, where they're able to provide this inspiration to our customers, but it's a little more difficult to do online. Now we'll be able to. We'll be able to you know, share stories of coworkers, share stories with our, of our designers and the reasoning behind collections, both moving picture and still imagery. Um, we'll be able to talk about our sustainability agenda, um, big opportunities to connect to our customers in a deeper way. And what are the kind of challenges that keep you awake at night? Honestly, say the thing that keeps me awake at night is that we still haven't been able to transfer the truly who we are to the American consumer. That Swedish DNA. Yeah. And it's it's so, like I said, part of my backbone that it's like, ugh. We really need to be able to do that. We shouldn't water down. We shouldn't be like everybody else. We should be who we are. What advice would you give to your younger self in mm. your career? If mm. you could have said, oh gosh, if only I'd known that or done that or you know, approached something in this way mm. when you were starting out. And in so doing, maybe give to someone else who's also starting out on their own career journey. I think one thing that tends to be a universal 
truth for people who are in design is that you know when you started out I mentioned to you I was doing it as a as a child so it can be personal it can be quite personal I remember when I first started I was like 23 and I was actually working for a wholesale company and I was doing a lot of design on the factory floor and I was in China so this is 20 plus years ago and you know there was an aspect of like was it about me or was it about the customer but I think it's important to kind of set that line. And I think it's actually really fun to design something not about me, but to be able to identify who's it for and yeah. then design that. You can almost use your alter ego exactly, to, to do exactly. that. Exactly, so most people that I, you know, that are new into the field, you know, I try to I try to share how that is actually really, really fun and will actually drive you forward. That um, when I see that some designers kind of stick into it being personal, at least in retail, you know, we're talking about retail here, you know, and then, then it can tend to not be as successful for both the person and also the company. Yeah, sure. You and know, you can also the then get into you know, difficult questions about what is right, what is wrong, and all the mm -hmm. rest of it. Whereas, as you say, if you, if you approach it in the way you're describing, actually, you become much more objective mm. about that. And actually, you know, it's no longer emotive to you, but actually it's, it's, it's a third person almost that you're exactly. doing this for. I'd also say go for it. I was in a wholesale environment and I wanted to work for Crate and Barrel. So I actually just started designing a lot of product in rooms and cold sent it to the company. And within three days they called me and then a new position was started. I was the first to, to develop an in-house design department. And it, you know, go for it. You know, if you're not happy with where you are, there's nothing wrong with leaning into it. But you have to know their customer. If you can really nerd out about who that, that customer is and also really nerd out about what is the what's the brand language, the brand identity of that company, then develop something. Well, psh, then they have to have you. you My know? final question is, do you have an optimism about the future of stores? I have a huge optimism about the future of stores, and I have an optimism about tech in store. But I think it's, again, nuanced. You know, what are you using the tech for? Is it bringing new um, convenient experiences? Great. Is it substituting a personal experience? Maybe not so good. And I think this is about listening to the customer and what they're, I mean, they, like I said, they, they decided to come out to your store. So what are you going to provide to them that's different than a digital experience that we know 90% of our customers go online first anyway? Yeah, and I guess there's always been some, you know, taking it to a very simplistic level. This was the initial resistance, perhaps, to things such as self-checkout. We're yeah. going all in on what we call eco-tills um, for just that. So uh, let's figure out the pain points and fix those. Um, you know, we look at UX or in a very, or CX, either, depending upon which one, in a very specific way. You know, we try, we're a very simple company, so we don't try to add a lot of bells and whistles that aren't going to benefit the customer and only confuse things. We try to only add new experiences that will truly improve their experience. We're also looking into things like where you can just kind of check out all your items as you're moving through the store. So you already kind of have it checked out before you even get to the Ecotel, and then all you're doing at the Ecotel is putting in your card. These kinds of I things I have only were, one request. Yeah. <laughs> a drive-through for hot dogs, please. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, click and collect to hot dogs. Perfect. <laughs> it's been an absolute delight to talk to you, um, Shauna. Thank you so much for being with us Thank here you. on the Retail Exchange Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that. Yes, I did. Thanks for having me. This episode of the Retail Exchange was brought to you in association with Peak Technologies, using real-time information to deliver more sustainable supply chains for world-leading retailers across Europe and the US. End unreliable and outdated technology. 
and start investing in the very latest in mobility hardware and software proven to drive down operating costs. If you want to benefit your business, its bottom line and the planet, you can't afford not to. Visit peaktech.co.uk today to learn more and book your free 15-minute consultation. Peak Technologies. Achieve sustainability without reducing quality or value. You've been listening to the Retail Exchange Podcast. Thanks for listening.